Welcome to These Lads on Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalize mental health. Before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These Lads Are Mental recognizes the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. On today's episode, we talk about finance. So we talk about our own money stories, our backgrounds, your cultural history that goes into your own personal money story and also running your own business and the impacts that that have so we think this one is really relative to people who are listening no matter what your background is and we think you'll get a lot out of it so let's get stuck in welcome everybody to the latest these lads are mental how you going mate what's happening mate? good morning good morning 6 a.m sydney time nice and early hence the sas strip light that's beaming into my face <laughs> by force this podcast looks like i'm going to get dragged off camera now and put into two degree water any second so i'm fine i'm fine <laughs> blair witch project here in the background <laughs> a brilliant movie it's time man at the time i remember the whole is it real is it no real need the new we knew but we didn't want to, put, we wanted to pretend yeah. didn't that was scary wasn't it jeez yeah that frightening that was what did you believe in ghosts and demons and all that Nah, not really, mate. I, I wouldn't really say I didn't believe it, I just didn't really think about it. My, my theory is I don't really believe in it either, but I don't want to disrespect them because if they are listening to me, I don't want them to go, we're getting now, and then we'll show them that we are real. If anyone is listening. No, but there's a movie that came out that Sue and I went to watch in the cinema, and the premise is that it gets passed sexually, so someone has sex with you, I think, and that's how Oh, you- uh, I do this, this are going to yeah, so you can pass it on. And when you pass it on, there's like a, there's a spirit or a thing that's after you. But it only goes at a very slow pace or whatever. But then, but then when you're watching the movie, there's like a dot in it, like very in the corner during the school campus or something. And you just see this old granny. And then you're like, is that the fucking spirit or is that just somebody? And then it comes all the way up and then it'll walk by. It's just a random and you're like, oh, Jesus. But then they turn around, the granny's right there. And you're like, ah! And then you just keep running basically and if it catches you it basically shags you and then passes on the demon because one of the people is like fuck this i'm not running and then it catches and it kills him and then only you can see it as well which is even weirder so everyone else can't see it but you can see it and then whatever the very end of the movie it looks like they've gotten rid of it they they, they do the whole we researched it we found out what it was and we blah, blah. And then at the very end they're like i can't remember what happens but they they get rid of it the movie's about to go your man goes around the corner with his missus or something and then as he goes around the corner you just see this little dot and i'm like oh no it's gonna get him um, that, uh, it follows that's what it's called I just follows, it. yeah it follows yeah that's it watch that if you if you like scary movie. that did freak me out it shags you <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> really... I that getting pitched in the director's boardroom right guys we've got an idea for a film right there's this wee dot in the corner right what's the name of happens and then it shacks you. Shacks <laughs> you, and then you pass. It's just a horror. Would you take fifty million dollars, but there's a snail after you for the rest of your life? It can't run. It's going to go at snail's pace, but it can get you. 
the snail can't run. What sort of hypotheticals is this? Okay, doesn't say can't run. It says you can't kill it. Oh, you can't kill it. Ah, okay, yeah. Kill it, and its only mission is to find you, and it always knows your location. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, always knows your location. I couldn't do that, could you? Uh, I'd be very. Uh, the only the be obviously questions getting asked. Like, so could I just fly to a different country for several years? Because something like snails can only go twenty meters every <laughs> hour or something like that. Something ridiculous. So, so if I just say for a year, I think it was probably about three quarters away here now, or five years. <laughs> just probably go somewhere else. I think I'd always be ahead of it. To be honest with you. Yeah, so you could use a bit of maths, basically, and go, I can stay in one place for three years before... I reckon I still would catch you. I've seen you on the football pitch. I reckon I still would catch you. you be... <laughs> I reckon I still would overtake you. What was that? That was that snail. Fucking, this snail's like Usain Bolt. He's an absolute fucking flyer. Here's a question for you. Pseudo-related, maybe. Oh, it's to do with my little island of Ireland. There's a big controversy going on there at the moment about Ryan Tuberty. I know you probably never heard of him, but he's, I was going to say he's the Irish version of Graham Norton, but Graham Norton is also Irish. <laughs> but more so in his TV show that Graham Norton has. Ah, uh, yeah, good show, to Yeah, so there's an Irish one of that, which has been around for decades as well. Uh, that's, so that's guy Ryan, is he the host of that show? Yeah, he was. The, uh, it's called The Late Show, and it's the same as it's the same premise as... So was Emma was on? Yeah, she was on that, yeah. Emma Dorn, season uh-huh. one, episode 16. We made her famous. You hear the hero on Lazarus first. She was nothing until she got on this show. Nothing. Yeah, you know, mate. But, yeah, the, it's had... It's actually... I think it's gone down the dogs a bit over the years, but it used to be very famous, and they do get big names on it, like Russell Crowe was on it recently, and... Oh, okay. And it, was, it actually predates... It just, like... Alan Chatty Man, and then there's the one with there's all the American ones and all that kind of stuff. Jonathan Ross is one of those, isn't it? Jonathan Ross, yeah. It's the same thing as that, but like the, 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 I, I think it predates all of those because it was around. The, the Gay Byrne was the famous host. He was the original. I think it started about way back in maybe the 60s or the 70s. And it's still going today. But RTE, which is Radio Telefish Erin, which is the Irish state owned network, TV network. There's RT1, RT2. It's like the main channel. It's obviously publicly funded. And Ryan Tuberty, he's a bit of a twat anyway. Sorry, Ryan. But he was getting, basically, they're supposed to declare what their earnings are. And I know he's getting 600,000 euro. Like this happened back about in 2000 when the GFC hit, it came out in the wash and then there's guy Pat Kenny was the host and he was getting 900,000 euro for that job, which is madness. It's blown off back there because one, it's equivalent to the ABC over here and they're just, his thing came out that he was getting paid 600,000 euro or something. And then he was also getting side payments that were all going down on their consult, consultancy fees. And now there's been a big, what you call it? public trial of all the top dogs in RTE. So they've all been on the ticket for years and it's all coming out now and dodgy as fuck, money going here and all this. And then there, there's one host here I'm looking at this morning which says he had a car on loan for five years, which he wasn't paying for, like this is like all free. Yeah, but it's mad. He borrowed a car for five years and not paid for it. Yeah, you know, what's your take on all that access to... Public. Oh, not, you just yeah. tax money. 
taxpayers money like ireland's uh, you don't so much feel it here in australia it's probably like a bit maybe more the same in scotland where ireland's the last year or two has been pretty tough and the cost of living is hard over there like people moan here about oh my coffee's gone up you know but you still get your coffee whereas i think, I think the uk is probably just as the conversations i'm having with people i think the cost of living is quite bad in the uk as well i think it's bad obviously all around but i know a lot of people in the uk are really really struggling with it because of changes no, but that's what I mean, yeah, like, we don't feel that struggle as much, maybe, let's say, over here in Australia, but, yeah, a lot of my friends in Ireland, they're all talking about their energy bills, and they're all comparing, that's what goes on in the chat, and then, yeah, like, people are struggling to make ends meet thing at the moment. And it's, as you said, I think if you're in a, oh, obviously, we're looking back to mental health, but if you're in mental health, tough, you're having a tough time mentally, financially, because, obviously, I'd probably say finances would be up there, if you said, what's the top five things, top three things that impact people mentally? I would say finance is almost a constant. Well, I think finance is the number one reason why people get divorced as well. Finance and... I think, is it not finance? I could be wrong, but I'm sure I heard someone discuss this recently in a podcast saying... As a conversation regarding finances between couples as opposed to actual the money involved. The two people who love each other, is finance going to be the reason to get divorced? Or you don't, we've not got enough money? It's probably going to be the fact that somebody's spending money they should have or things are happening that haven't been discussed and then it's that just an open conversation regarding things. I think that's would make more sense because somebody's maybe he's spending all that money or she's spending all that money or like all those sort of nuances. I think that would play more part. What's your money story? In what way? There's <clears throat> I've watched and read a lot of stuff about this video, your money story. Like I have a money story from Ireland which is around scarcity we were living in a middle class life, but really like more working class, like the house nearly went a few times, the mortgage, things like that. Couldn't pay school fees. I had to, we used to have a voluntary contribution to my school, but like we could never afford it. So I used to have to give a letter into the school as the eldest son to do all that. And then when I came to Australia, I didn't think of anything with this at the time. Then I came to Australia and I was with Sue and I feel like Irish people have this big stereotype but generally i think irish people have this ingrained in you you have this money story of penny pinches and there's a lot of stuff you can read up on like money and if you warm to it and open to it money can just come to you there is that kind of money is abundant i think is a phrase that a lot of people say and if you um visualize it and manifest it and stuff go, like, go and go to today everyone just chill at home close your eyes here's gary here's gary's money story now but yeah, and then when I met Sue, like, Sue was like, God, you have a real money story about being worried about the most minutia when it comes down to things. And a friend of mine, a couple who lived in Australia, and full transparency, they're not with each other anymore. They're broken up. But we used to go over to the house sometimes for dinner. And then if you go over on a Friday night, they, you'd hear them, they'd sit down and they'd have a notebook. And they'd be like, you bought me a coffee on, th on Thursday. <laughs> Yeah, but I pay for the insurance and they do this tally up and then at the end they go, you owe me this week $200 and they'd have to transfer. Into that. Well, I'm sure there's multiple ways of managing finances as a couple, but I think that's that sounds like homework. Yeah. Isn't it funny? I love the thing about UK and Irish people, I don't know, that do it versus like, I, I just don't think that happens here in Australia, but I think they are lucky in the way that like, probably look, there's different levels of society, of course, but for most part in like the metropolitan areas, like people have inheritance money and the struggle is not as real maybe so some of those things don't come into play as much whereas i was growing up like things where there were sometimes where you're like 
worried about like where you're gonna have a house over your head you know the kind of way like or like i couldn't go on school tours sometimes because like you know didn't have the money for it like you know did you have any of that stuff growing up oh i mean i mean i wasn't living in an affluent area like definitely working class i don't think i ever wanted for anything i mean like i wasn't going on to disneyland every year for holiday and we weren't driving a, a range rover so this is standard like lived in a i had an amazing childhood didn't want for anything got Christmas presents, birthday presents, we went on holiday once a year. No, I suppose my point there is, yeah, that's great, but there's no right and wrong with what I'm trying to get at here, but I suppose just thinking of my own story, I think probably exposed to some of that stuff does have an impact on you, and then you resent, maybe there's a bit of resentment that builds, and then also that drove my want to be successful and trying to be promoted and stuff like that. So for me, coming to, even to come to Australia was about how do I get the next job? How do I fake it till I make it? And I need to just have to get more money. And then, is the next one going to give me a bit more seniority and all that kind of stuff? And I was trying to get away from what I grew up under. Not to say that it was like detrimental or anything like that, but it still had an impact on me in terms of not wanting that. And yeah, when you're exposed to the like financial situations where you can't go on a school tour because of this, or I remember like sometimes my mom would get us like, Oh, I got you those Adidas tracksuits for like your birthday. And I'm like, oh, class. And then it would have four stripes, like not three. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, these are fake. Like, it's, they're not fake. They are fake. Even better, it's got an extra stripe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just those little things chip away at you. Then you go to school. And then if, if you wore the four stripes and you went to school and then you like, <laughs> but you get bullied like or someone go, Oh, you're a fucking loser. And then so your mom would wear would make you wear them. So you'd wear them and then you get bullied. And then that goes in that goes around again. Then you get annoyed at your your mom because she's got me this and now I'm looking like an idiot. And then um, it's not to say this is my thing, like being not able to afford to go for some of those things or the house being up like is not that's not a bad, those things do happen, right? And families have to just survive. I suppose the missing link for me and all that was understanding that's okay. And that doesn't make anybody wrong or bad, but I didn't have that third perspective to go, look this, yeah, I'll, maybe you can't go on a holiday all the time, but that's okay. And you don't need to feel resentful before, because of it. So that was all like subconsciously going into me. And then I think all that, well, only when I met Sue, obviously who come from maybe, the other end of things and not so much in terms of being like ridiculously rich or anything like that but that wasn't a thing for her and then it started to show up a lot in me and then i yeah i used to penny pinch and was all obsessed about money and then when we first start going out she was like oh we'll get a joint account i was like no why would i and then i understood did you track you these stripes <laughs> off <laughs> i can now borrow my adidas i'm not going to share it with you that no, was probably a mix of the ego identity and then that history of I've worked this is my money like I want nah, 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 yeah, yeah. I don't want to give you my money and like that was a really big thing for me in our relationship in the early days was actually giving that up and giving that autonomy up in terms of having the shared accounts that was like a such a big deal for me I understand I definitely can empathize with or sympathize with them especially for couples who maybe have got a massive difference in their pay so imagine you're earning 150 grand a year and your partner's earning buttons whatever buttons is and the other partners spending most of it that must happen a lot to a lot of people ignoring maybe like, ignore the fact they may have a kid so just say it's just a couple that must happen no child involved one one parent one 
one partner's out spending, wants to book fancy restaurants, or and they're thinking, this is my money. I don't even want that. That's not my money. You bought you bought something new for the house every second week. And you're like, what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> all my cash and then this money. Yeah, no, and yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's unusual that you'll both be at the same place in terms of salary at the same time. That's probably highly unusual, but yeah, you have to just overcome it because maybe your partner is doing other things as well. And it's also from their perspective, if you're making more money and you're out spending stuff and they can't do that, it's also like you feel for them sometimes that, oh, I can't afford to go and get that coffee. I have to ask you to give me this. There's, there's that as well, which I totally understand. Um, and at the end of the day, you're in a compromise together. And then, yeah, that's true. That's even doubled when you're in a family or if you've got a kid or whatever, like it's, it's even less. That's because your money priorities change even more. And do you and Lexi have a joint account? Only recently, uh, got married, and then decided a joint account. But we didn't really need one. The bills have been automated for the last three years. She buys what she wants to buy. There's no questions. I buy what I have to buy. No questions. As long as the bills are paid, we're saving towards something. Come and go. Yeah, be interested. It'd be in. Like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Like a survey of like people listening to think what setup do people do. It'd be interesting to see. Even... I think it's common. Oh, sorry, mate, to drop. I think a cop more and more common as it used to be people get married joint account and that's it but now i'm hearing more and more people of joint account but people still have their two individual accounts so it's i know a lot of people who will pay their bills from a joint account and then the bills are separate and then their accounts are separate for you can go and do what you want with that money i don't have to know go and buy clothes whatever you need to do go and enjoy yourself not every penny has to be counted for because at the end of the day like you said People get things they need to, they want to do. They don't want to judge for what they buy or feel resentful every time they buy something. But then at the same time, knowing that's our thing, we agreed to that. That's paid for. It's a bit much. Uh, but mate, it's a, it's a big topic. It's a big topic. It, it starts when you start when you actually start going into it. And this is why let's say people don't necessarily talk about it. But when just from what we've been talking to there, you can see how deep rooted this is ingrained in people individually. And then never mind there's a couple and then yeah buying things like it is quite a it's a huge part of our lives right because we money is a thing every single day and if you don't talk about it, it's similar to mental health really like if you don't have a good relationship with money and you don't talk about it, especially with your partner like it will cause you problems and it, it, it can cause divorces and the other thing about money is i don't know where you stand on educational thing but we don't get taught things in school about like how to budget. Like I like I'm terrible at budgeting. Like it's just I'm like no one ever like it would have been a great skill to have at some point in your schooling. Everyone to be taught here's how you budget. Here's a good percentage to budget off what your salary is. Buying a house, conversations with a bank. Imagine you have to go through those hypotheticals in school. Today's class is a practical thing. Yeah. The, the bank teller. Simple things. You want to go and open a bank account. What's the conversation going to be like? What do you need document-wise? Okay, cool. What sort of bank accounts is there? There's a savings account. This person, what one do you, like, that would be school. Imagine like learning how mortgages work or the interest yeah. rate or the stock market or whatever, like learning how things work and all that kind of stuff would be fantastic. Yeah, because we don't get any of that stuff and even emotional health. Imagine learning if somebody is like, is feeling this, what can you do? It's better for you to be, to listen in this scenario. Like all those kind of things would be great things and would help us all, but Sure, we haven't got a fucking chance of that with all the fucking institutions that are global entrenched in thousands of years in schools. There's fucking, there's no way we can't even all that controversy here in, in Australia and the 
did. But going back to the finance thing, though, yeah, so you've got all that legacy stuff that you carry with you, which is everyone's is different. I, I'm a little bit aware of mine, which you can keep an eye on. But yeah, if you don't get on top of that, if you don't come to terms with it, that can definitely impact you. And then even regardless of all that, finances on a given day is a huge stressor. And as a business owner, and let's say you as your own operator as well, you're dealing with stress of not only stress with yourself, but stress with your environment in terms of paying staff salaries or getting hit with this and like that all like i've noticed that big time when i left when you leave the corporate world there is a bit of comfort uh, comfiness about it that you get your salary obviously you can be made redundant you can be fired and stuff but if you're doing a good job and you're working hard you can go to bed at night knowing my job's there in the morning whereas with a business you don't really have that safety net and then that is a big thing that like there's lots of times i've gone to bed and still do it today where you go to bed going I don't know how we're going to fucking do this. And that's a horrible feeling. So you can only imagine what that's doing to your mental health in the short run and in the long run. Do you come across that? Oh, I can massive. I like to, just as you were talking, I was just thinking about that, of course, business-wise, 100% mate, like that's, I only started my business what, four years ago, but a year and a half of that was, whilst I was also an employee, it was just a side hustle. But as the first couple of years of having a business is, Fucking by far the hardest thing I've ever done by far, um, and mostly it is due to how hard it is. it's not hard in terms of the work, the work I love the work you're helping people, etc. But the finances is a constant battle. Multiple threads to what you said. Like one, I was just thinking, I was like, finances are a big part of my mental health, huge daily. I think for everybody, and I was in America in college for four years which you get no money, obviously, in college or, uni or so university. What We all know that. And I went to university at 20, 20 years old, 21 years old. So I finished school, went to be a sparky in the naval ships for a year and a half, chucked it a year and a half in and went to America on a scholarship, played football, done my university, four years, best time of my life, but skint. So I came to Australia at 25, 26, skint. Again, lots of experience, life experience, wouldn't change it for the world, but came to Australia, tried to go on a visa, my first job, mate, right? I, again, that SNC coach, football coach, all the rest, that was my background. Try to get a, just pop around everywhere. I lived in Bondi Junction. And one guy says, Oh, look, there's a, there's a place up in the Olympic Park. They've got a coaching academy. Initially, I was just doing some work, refereeing at the five aside place and a little bit of coaching here or there. But, but mate, like buttons I was getting. But it got, when I first got here, I was living in Bondi Junction. I got a job in Sydney Olympic Park coaching, right? And the job, basically, I had to coach at 6.30 in the morning, right? And then my next hours were 6pm at night. I went Bondi Junction. It's a trek. Didn't have a car. So I'd go Bondi Junction to, uh, to Central. Central Lidcombe Sprint Train to Olympic Park. Walk to the session at 6.30 in the morning. So I'd leave Bondi Junction at like 5.15. Do the session. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't go back home to Bondi Junction. It was a waste of time. So what I used to do is... I would go to Sydney Light Park, there was a lot of coaching going on, like good coaching. So I just, just Google, best strength coach, best speed coach, blah, blah, blah. The GWS Giants train where I next time we trained. I would just sit and watch sessions or, and then I started buying books. And so during those hours, I had no money. So I couldn't like go home. I'd just sit and read. I was going to these sessions, just watching these sessions just to kill time. Obviously, unknowingly, I was subconsciously getting so much information and learning a shit ton of stuff. Then my session would come at seven o'clock at night, or six o'clock at night, finish that, 
I'd go home at half ten at night, right? And all I, could, all I was eating in my house, mate, was I had a bag of oats, a tub of peanut butter, tuna, eggs, and bread. That was my diet. Not bad health-wise, but it was the cheapest stuff I could eat, and it was still getting me some sort of calories and some protein and all that. That was my diet for, for ages. And my wage was 300... And th- I still got the invoice in my folder. I'm, I'm keeping this. My first wage was $300. I think at the time, my rent was like 260 so I had my train fare to get. So that's my first, this is my first six months, mate. And the guy who gave me the job said to me, he didn't trust, not me, he didn't trust travellers, people who are on visas. So he said, tell you what, you're probably just going to be like someone else. You'll come, you'll coach, and then you'll fuck off somewhere else. And I was like, no, mate, I'm genuinely want to stay here. And then he gave me a job after six months, sponsored me. But again, the minimum sponsorship was like $50,000 a year, I think, at the time. So that was definitely in my head the whole time of, I need to, earn more money here but when you're on a visa you can't earn money elsewhere you're stuck with what they offer you because you can't earn money anywhere else otherwise it terminates your visa so I couldn't get the, the job I was in I couldn't get there was no promotion it was just I was on that I was on that wage for three years right and then the guy stopped paying us not because he didn't want it he was under his own financial problems small business owner so he stopped paying the staff and because he'd looked after me got my visa and all that sort of stuff I was just, ah, mate, it's all right. So, he's like, oh, so not pays for three weeks, pays a week's worth. Not pays for two weeks, then catch up two weeks. Then not pays for, then it was the length of time he stopped paying and started to get extended further and further and further. And again, because he'd been looking at, I say, looked after me, he was the guy who sponsored me. I didn't really know a lot of people when I first got here, but he was helpful to me. It was just his family. So I got to know him really well. And then it started getting extended. And at one point it got to 13 weeks I'd not been paid. Wow. Again, but you're on a visa. And the rule on the visa was, if you were two years on the visa, you could then apply for PR. So at this point, I had worked, Tang had worked a year without the visa because obviously it's been sponsored, but then the time it took for the visa to come through. And then I was like a year into this thing. So this kept going. And this talking about all the time that I'd spent reading books and listening to podcasts and that, I was, I educated myself on finance. Investing in finance was my two big things. For like two years solid, that's all I learned about, just nonstop which was a game changer for me. Because even though I was earning only 50 grand a year, I was investing every single week. I was saving. So after this extended again, it started getting worse and worse and worse. Some of the staff started boycing up about it. A couple of them quit, but I couldn't quit. So I was doing more work, same wage, or same wage, (laughs) hypothetically. And then I eventually eventually got to the point where I started having to use the savings. So I'm about a month away, I think, from PR. And I had spent a fair bit of my savings because I had to make up for all the money I'd missed. Plus, I had to then start obviously getting back into what it was. During that period, I tried to commit to my investment thing. So I was taking up my savings and saying, I'm still going to put that in this commitment to this investment, no matter what I'm putting in. So that was coming off my savings as well, which is a good habit in hindsight. I'm glad I've done it. But at the time, it was rough. And then one day, all the staff just got up and says, can't do this. I'm getting fucking paid. Guide backtracked, went back and forth. He, everyone walked up, I was in the office, everyone got him left, apart from me, uh, and I was just sat, sitting on myself, and I was like, oh my God, he's like, you're going to fucking leave as well? And I'm like, nah, mate, I'll stay. And then eventually I said to him, like, mate, I'll tell you what, I'll stay until you replace every single person that's left. But he goes, okay. And he's okay. So I worked, still didn't get paid. Uh, he replaced everybody who left, it was like six members of staff. And then I interviewed with him, the person who's going to take my job. So he then says to me, look, 
there's a guy in that's going to take your job mind. But I was like, you know what, I just have to get a new job. And luckily, so a mate of mine said, look, you're looking for a coach. I just need to take it. I need security. So I leave there, right? Everything was fine. He's like, I'll get your money. So I was fucking skint, mate. So skint. Obviously, get this new job. But financially, my head was up my ass. Mental health-wise, my head was up my ass. He calls me out five years later. Money's going to cut. I'm going to pay you three weeks, and then I'll pay you another three weeks. I was like, that's fine, mate. No dramas. He just never phoned me again. So I was contacting me, ghosted me. Can you get a hold of him? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, man. Here we go. Cannot believe I'm getting done here for all this money. Because in my head, I was already counting it. I'll replace that money there. My savings had come down drastically. I was like, fucking hell. I was, and you know yourself, if you've got a decent sum saved up, that feeling of losing that, and you think, I need to get back to that amount somehow. But I, then I had to pay all this money back that I'd been using to pay my wife, my, my rent, and my still was trying to live a sociable life and all that as well. So then I had to restart from scratch, just pretend I don't have that money. For a full year, I had to go through legal with him, legal battles, to go back and forth. He tried to counter-sue me. I got a call through for a mate who was part of the staff at the time, and I wasn't going to take court. He says, look, you can take this to court for free, uh, you can throw us uh, fair work on they'll give you a lawyer. I'm like, right, sound. So psychologically, again, this was a fucking tough time for me. He's been a lawyer. Me and my mate were going through it at the same time. So eventually when he met us, he go, the lawyer says to me, look, he wants to meet you in that room. And I, I didn't want to see him again. I'm like, oh, no, man. Again, talk. I'm just try to always relate to mental health. So you imagine I'm in court for the first time in fucking life. Stressed. Stressed fucking bin, man. Had no idea what to expect. The lawyer wants to, he wants to talk to that room. So he said, and I was, I'm not going to go and meet him in the room because he's just going to try and stronghold me. I thought, I was, I'll go into the room, but only if you're in there as well. And I'm not talking to him. I'm not even going to look at him. I refuse to look at him. I refuse to talk to him. We're going to give him the time of day. So I'm just looking at the lawyer the whole time. And the lawyer's talking to the guy, and he's trying to talk to me. And he, the lawyer says, oh, um, obviously we owe this much money, but what we, he had a huge amount of paper on his desk. And the lawyer says, what's this? And he goes, that's toll fines that have not been unpaid tolls that Gary's accumulated as they work for us. Then I look at the tolls and I'm laughing. I'm thinking, so we basically the e-tag, had the e-tag. I got the e-tag, he was going through it. He didn't give me an e-tag. So I remember going to the office and saying to the, 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 the secretary, just to let you know, I went through a toll today. It was the first time I've ever done it. I think I need an e-tag. She said, yeah, we'll order one. And for a month, nothing came. So I went back in and said, by the way, I still not been given a C-tag. What do I do? She said, all right, we'll sort it. You just go into this website, you put in your, your rego and we'll pay it. I'm like, all right, no worries. Obviously, it was notoriously, he was going through a bad financial time. So he also wasn't paying his bills. So they were, with the tolls, they double every so often if you're not paying them. So that was accumulating, racking up. So he was trying to counter-sue me for my full amount that I wanted off him for these tolls. The lawyer was, the lawyer was like, look, he used the van during what period? doing all these sessions, all in this van. So far, we went to court about nine times, and four of the times I didn't turn up. And then on the, the last day, the last time we go again, and the lawyer says, look, we need to come to some sort of, he's not budging. He's trying not to pay a single thing here. The, the toll thing's not going to fly. It's obviously nonsense. So what do you want to do? I mean, I want my money. You're going to have to compromise somehow. So there's a number. What is the minimum amount that, that you'll take so I gave him a number, what I'd take. Let me, I'm going to go a little bit higher than that. I'll go back to him. And if he can negotiate towards your number, it'll seem like he's he thinks he's won at least. And then we'll back, eventually got a number. So if I can get an agreement to get a number, 
we'll give you that number, but he has to pay it within seven days. Would you accept it? I was like, oh, fuck, do you know what? I'll take it at this point. Aye. So we got that signature that we get that money. Then we get we, seven days pass. We've no one paid. So I remember driving down Gardner's Road on a way, and it was 4.50, this is no joke, 4.54 p.m. on a Friday. It was seven days after. And my mate phoned me, and he's like, have you been paid? I'm like, no. Nah. And both of us just busted laughing, like, how the fuck's he getting away with this? And then about a minute later, my mate goes, refresh your screen. And the money came in. Paid us five minutes before the deadline date. Got them, got that. Never paid the superannuation. Uh, bankrupt his company. Then after that whole shit happened, I went to a new job. Worked there for four or five years. COVID hit, obviously hit. All that shit happened again. And then that's when I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I need to start my own business here because I've been shafted off my old place. During COVID, obviously, I get let go from all other place because of co after COVID, there was no work pretty much. So I was unemployed, had to use my side hustle, turn into a business. And then you go back from all that to, do you know what? I now don't have a salary. Fuck. I want to provide for my family. I need to get security. And then every time money doesn't happen, I go back to, I was like eight years ago. Like you said, you're like, you hate yourself sometimes. Is this going to work? Is this person going to work? Well, if this doesn't work, I'm back to where I was fucking 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm now in my thirties. What the fuck? You start panicking. And that's constant in your head every single day as a business owner, as a as anyone with a salary that could be taken away from me at any point. Wow. That's a story. Yeah, man, that's mental. That's why when you hear things like, just fail, everybody can fail, you're fine. Like all that kind of shit. Obviously there's, there's an element to that, pushing yourself and taking a risk, which is all fine, but it's a lot more real when you're literally trying to pay a staff member or put even put dinner on the table for yourself. It's a lot going through all that court situation you had. It all becomes a lot more real with that. You often only hear the good news about all that, but maybe not so much in Australia. I remember in Ireland, like you'd see businesses go up and go down all the time. Like somebody would open up a news agent that last six months and then it was gone. And then you'd often, I used to often think, geez, that would have put somebody bankrupt. Like someone would have put 400 grand into that and now it's gone. I wonder what's happened. I used to often think about that. So, <clears throat> It is extremely dangerous when you hear, I don't know, irresponsible maybe is the word where you hear. Obviously, you want to encourage people to take a chance and do all that, but it's not as black and white. Yeah, you might hear something anecdotal, but yeah, the reality is not as as, as often as that. And there is, look, them's are the rewards, right? If you do go on your own, the sky is the limit and you can, you can probably go way beyond where you ever could go. And like whenever you work for the man, you are always on the hook for something at some point, no matter how long you've been in a company, you could be gone tomorrow. So there is obviously the rewards, but yeah, I think to sum up all that, it's not to scare people off it, but it's just, it's not as easy. I know people don't think it's easy, but it's not as black and white as what people think it is. And yeah, like it's up and down. And like for us, anyway, for me, you're always thinking, fucking, when is it going? When's that moment going to come where you're going to be like, oh, now I'm sorted. Now money is, <laughs> I've got everything now. And there is an element of you'll never get that. Even if you do get that, you'll never be content. Because I had that with my psychologist before. He's like, when are you going to be content? You've got a beautiful wife. You've got this, you've got that. You live in Bondi. You've got all these things. What more do you want? And I was like, yeah, no, that does make sense. Because I think at that time I said, Oh, I'll be content when I'm 80 sitting on my porch watching all my grandkids go around. And then he said to me, what, you're going to wait until you're 80 until you're content? What about the rest of your life? And I was like, oh, yeah. When you start putting all that into terms, that did make sense. But then there, like, it doesn't make it easy in between all that. That's the kind of the, the hard part. And sometimes I've often thought you, you go through 
ups and downs with all this. Like one day you're like, fuck it, yeah, go on. I'm a legend, I'll fucking do it. Fuck it, I'm just gonna take a chance. That's what I'm gonna do. Bill Gates, whatever, he can do it, I can do it. I go through that, you get a day with that. The next day you're like, panic mode, oh, I can't do it, money. Like, you don't do it, you procrastinate, you don't do it. You, you, the day you need to do stuff, you're like, yeah. You've got no structure because you're, yeah, you're not in a nine to five. I'm not in a desk, which there is something to be said about that, especially I think for my psyche and what I've, because I've worked in corporate most of my life until Nimbus, like that kind of worked for me. Just knowing like I had a desk, did this, like that. I need yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Like you need a security. And when that's gone, like this is up to you. There's nobody else. And there's then there's very other people actually telling you, you're doing a good job, Neil. Or... Yeah. You're not getting that constant feedback from people. The zone, and that is fucking draining on you emotionally. You need to set your own targets. You need to set your own targets. You need to set your own priorities. You need to set your own schedule. Then you have to be disciplined enough to do all that. Then on top of that, you've got the other parts of your life, for instance, being disciplined enough to maybe go and exercise, to eat well, to build your relationships, your family, friend, blah, blah. Fuck, man, it is the most. And then you're the only one, really, that can also pat you on the back, which then... (laughs) hard to do that to yourself anyway especially if you're a bit of a narcissist like well, <laughs> i am like where you're like is this me patting myself on the back because i'm doing good or is this me patting on the back built off false things thinking that i'm good at this but i'm actually not like you said going through all of that kind of stuff and yeah it's fucking it's hard man it's hard there's been so many times where i feel like just i fucking wish i just had a stay oh mate oh, uh, one of the big things i i, was, I thought was maybe a month ago and it was a weekend and I remember all I was thinking about the whole weekend was the business that's all I was thinking about for no particular reason there was nothing urgent needed to be done I just couldn't stop thinking about like how many players how many players I need to work with and how many pages and what numbers to get to and then I thought to myself imagine I just had I worked Monday to Friday I was getting my salary with a skill set I've gotten all these different things I'd done a no bad wage and then Saturday Sunday I would literally just park it Lie on the couch, not give a fuck about anything. Wake yeah. up Monday morning and walk in and suddenly go, say to somebody else, what would you like me to do today? <laughs> I'll do that till five o'clock. See you later, buddy. All those things are done. But that's that's what even It is all relative as you climb up the chain. Because you mentioned that 51,000 threshold. I remember that as well. Even though brutal, man. My stories, we all have our own little stories, but mine... I remember getting paid that. I thought I was minted. When I when I left Ireland, I was on like, I, I got a good wage with Special Olympics to start off, but my problem was I didn't, a lot of my mates were accountants and they were all on the 18 grand, 20 grand, 22 grand. I was actually paid probably the most out of my mates, but because the problem with that was like, yeah, you could get promoted, but the, the trail wasn't that high. Whereas accountant, you just, every two years, you go up, you go up, you go up. So by the time I was leaving, I was getting caught up. But then when I came to Australia, I was like, yeah, I got 52 grand or something. I was like, fuck it hell. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what do I do? But I also, like, as you were saying, like, I came here with four or five years experience thinking I'd walk into a job. And for the first, I brought 5,000 euro with me coming over here. That's how much I saved, right? Which I thought was like so much that's money. Decent, that's a decent amount of money. It is really probably about 2000 and what? What time did you come here? 2000... 2011. Yeah. How old, how old were you now? 42? I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 20, I was 26 as well. Yeah. But then, yeah, I was the same as you. I, after two months, I basically nearly blown it all. Just going to the tennis, going out in the session, like all this kind of stuff. And then the rents and then paying my deposits and all. And then it was gone. And then I had to try and get jobs and I couldn't get anything, even though I had experience because of the visa. And my first job, I was coaching a, a private school in Caulfield, in Ripponlee, in Melbourne. 
Caulfield Grammar and I couldn't believe the money like it was good money and it was the same kind of thing you do two hours a day but I had no transport so after a while you start getting a bag of balls like I used to cycle with a bag of footballs on my back across Melbourne like uh, it was unbelievable it was like the absolute outrage and then I also worked in Zamel's jewellery store which I think has gone bankrupt now on Swanton Street I did that for six months it was horrendous it's like one of the worst jobs I've ever had so yeah imagine standing behind the desk working for a company that like they were just the worst company ever and like you'd see a gold chain would be like a thousand dollars and then there was like a staff rate which had was heavily discounted where you knew what you could it was cost price basically and it might be like 80 quid so I'm like a thousand dollar gold chain you get it for 80 quid yeah, you get for 80 quid or something. I was like, how? So you just know you were just <laughs> yeah. robbing people blind and then like people come in and then your boss would be on you going, you're not selling. Because I'd be just chatting to people and being too nice about it, you know. I was like, oh, it gets you this. And like, you know, so I just lost. And then we had an $80 gold chain on. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the same. There was no like staff room or you just like, you know, you'd walk around the block and you're like, it was just horrendous to get. And then luckily just one person who loved Irish people, I got a job, I got sponsored straight off the bat, and then the rest is like history. But then with that first job, that first big job I got, I was like, oh, this is, I'm doing well here, so, and felt like I did everything I wanted. And by the time I left the corporate world, I was on like double that, more than double that. But then, where's that? It wasn't any happier. Oh, like it, it wasn't, yeah. So like, there is an element of, you just have to be happy with what you've got because what you've got is probably more than what you give it credit for. And then another thing, I, I don't know if you think about this as well. It's maybe a bit of positive advice for anyone that does take that challenge is sometimes I think, look, if it all went belly up, let's just say, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? We could get made, I, I could um, go bankrupt, right? It's probably the worst thing that could happen to you. Lose everything, lose the business, go bankrupt, Luckily in this country, and let's say the same with Ireland, England, like there is a bit of a nest there. Like I could just go home to, let's say worst case scenario, got divorced, shambles, and all this kind of stuff. I could just go home to Ireland and live with my mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. And I just very fortunate you've got your mum and dad because some people don't. Yeah, I, when I was just explaining, I was like, fuck, that's actually a bit of a thin line because what if they both died and then, I don't know, they owed money to the bank and there's no money, you'd have nothing. Like, and how was that? Tongue now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the fuck. Fuck you know. No, that goes through my head. So I have. Most of it, no, that's a normal. It's like, it's like, I thought people. I go through that something. What if this and then? Oh my god, shock. I remember Osher was talking about that at the end of the world stuff. But I do. I think about the negative a lot. I do think, fuck, if this happens and then that happens and then what if this happens? Oh fuck. And then you start going, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do? And then that's the thing about working nine to five. And there is a bit of not ignorance is bliss, but you know what you were saying? Like you can come in on a Sunday hung over and you don't give a shit because you're not carrying that emotional baggage of the company which is a nice thing really like in some shape or form there's some of the pros about it that you can do nothing for a whole day and you don't feel guilty about it i haven't done that in five years she'll say to me just fucking do nothing i'm sick at the moment absolutely dying i feel like shit she's all yes because she's up in brisbane just go home and, and put your feet up and just stay in bed all day i was like Oh, I can't. I've got a meeting. Then I got this. I don't have a choice. So it's hard to it's hard to turn the faucet off, and that's not good for you. Definitely, I don't have a stop button at the moment, which is not good for your your health. And you don't want to be dead by sixty or have a heart attack or something like that. But we we are looking in the sense of somewhere like America. There's a 
you can fall from grace a lot quicker, just less of a safety net. But there's a, there's a few there's a few t- tactics I'd recommend then, just for people having a tool belt. Is one would be like a psychologist said to you, starts naming all the things that you've got going for you, and I do this probably periodically. If I'm having a tough time mentally, I'll do it just on the moment. But I've got a a book, and once a month, every month, I'll literally write in it where I currently am in my life with everything. Like I'll go through emotionally health, emotional health, physical health, all the rest of it, financial health. So you say to me, Sally, my business is doing a shit at the moment. I'm like, mate, you've got a woman you love in your life who loves you. You've got both parents are alive. Does she know? <laughs> <laughs> you've got a, a beautiful child. You're living in Bondi. You start naming the stuff. You've built a brilliant reputation for yourself. You're running a podcast. Like you start putting all that stuff on a bit of paper. Over time, what I've found is if I look back at, even if six years ago, maybe financially I was in a better position or whatever it might have been, I'll look at the things, what I wanted, because I'll always write what I want to accomplish and blah, blah, blah. And I laugh and I think until six years ago, I had a bit more handoff to be where I'm right now. I remember writing when I was employed, I want to go do my own thing. Like fed up of being blah, blah, blah. I want to do one thing. I know I can do it. Push myself. And now that I'm in it and I start going, oh, fuck, blah. I go, oh, three years ago, four years ago, this is exactly what you wanted and you're exactly where you wanted to be. Yeah. And I know in four years of the do, it'll be the exact same process. So I think just literally takes me three minutes. I just write down where I currently am. Like, well, what I've got, obviously thinking of the positives, what's really good in my life, the main rocks. And at the end of the day, the main rocks are your relationships, your shelter. Access to food, water, and then going, okay, career-wise, where am I? And there's two things people can't take from you. And I was listening to that diary of a CEO, Stephen Bartlett, recently, and he was talking about this, and he was like, he mentioned there's five buckets, but two of them, knowledge and skill set, no matter what happens in any other bucket of your life, no one can ever take them away from you. So if you did, again, hypothetically, Nimbus went down the shitter, the skill set that you've built from all the shit you went through building that business, and then on top of that, your old job in marketing. No one, if you went back to Ireland, that skill set, that life experience, the knowledge you've built of running a business, ups and downs, that would stand you in good stead to get yeah. another job. And no one, no matter what happens, no financial situation, no no person can remove that from you because that is what you've, that's why I always encourage people to, to constantly upscale themselves. The danger we spoke about last couple of episodes about I've even find myself now is like buying things or getting your dinner or food is like giving me like that little like validation, which is like a dangerous place to be in. Like you can pay, you pay for that easy. Being yourself, I don't know. Probably should have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I, I get that immediate regret. I've always had that. That's something that's, like I love clothes and fashion and stuff like that. But then I, I buy something and then I immediately go, you shouldn't have bought that. You really shouldn't have bought that. And then that goes through my head and then you get this guilt and then you're like, but, and then even when we were moving all our stuff recently, I was going through all this like crap that we have and it was like embarrassing. I was thinking like, what are you, like so much shite that you just, you accumulate for no reason. You don't need any of it. Like it's all, it's all bad. But yeah, like when I eat, like when I eat, that's when at the moment, that's when I feel my most safe and happy because when I'm eating this thing, for the next 20 minutes, I can't think about anything else. So I feel safe and I'm just eating. A nice way to end this chat, which has been about finances and the highs and lows of it is like definitely writing it down, I think is gratitude. It's all the same thing, manifesting, which is not something that I would naturally go to, but that does help putting it down on paper, even writing it, throwing it in the bin. Just a reminder, just a reminder. 
you know, I, I was on a peer-to-peer network when I used to work with corporate and they used to do stuff like this. And yeah, exactly what you were saying. Like they used to get you to score yourself out of 10 personally and business-wise every session. And then you'd have to talk about why you gave yourself whatever. So it was really just holding yourself accountable. And then quite often you're like, I'm a four. And they're like, why are you a four? And they're like, then you talk it out. And you're like, oh, you're not really a four. You're maybe a seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. oh jesus mate you need to get okay, help all right we're gonna have to cancel this meeting but no it was good and then they used to also say the whole talk about the imposter syndrome and they get you to write out like all your achievements and one of the things i worked with with dara Byrne, who we've had on the show as well which is around in terms of your validation or seeking that you've done a good job if you write that in one exercise i thought was really cool what i did with him was how many people you've impacted in your life. And this is something you can do in 20 minutes. Just get a sheet of paper and just go, all right, I've been on a soccer team, which has on average 20 people in it, puts a coach, 21. I've been doing that for 20 years. You can just do some maths. Yeah. And then you start building that. I was on the light ball. We had a thousand people at that. Then each one of them is going to tell about 10 people about that. That's that's 10,000 people you've impacted. You start going through it on you're like, fuck. And it's a good thing maybe if someone's struggling, just do that little exercise and you'll quickly realize how important you are or the role you have played in society but yeah i think maybe just be grateful there's always a way out even though it might not seem like that and i I think we both said that sometimes that is tough and it's not easy living with financial stress is the worst stress i think you can i i think maybe there's obviously there's a lot of things i think about a day-to-day thing a constant finance must be the most constant thing 100 and the pressures are ridiculous social media yeah. Everything's about how do you make more money? How much money do you earn? How do I get more things? That's yeah. that's the pressure. And probably that won't change, unfortunately. That's the reality that you have to come to terms with. I don't know. Let's just say, yeah, we sold Nimbus and whatever, 10 million in five years' time, and you bought that big house or whatever, and you were sitting there, that'd be great for a while. But then, whether it's the lifestyle you leave or because you have that money, you might go, I might invest it somewhere, you put your money in there, that goes down to shit. Like, it's like you can get to those places, but. Like there's, there's very few, if maybe no one in the world who sits on a mound of money, who really genuinely has no fear at all about losing it. Even those with the most money can often lose the most as well. And there's more risks when you're investing higher stakes. So I think people need to come to terms, including myself, that that day is not going to come. There's not, there is no day where you're like, ah, that's it. But maybe if you get to that point, say, say hypothetically, you're so ambitious, you get 10 million, brilliant. If you, if for whatever happened, reason happened, you and Sue weren't together, or, and Sonny wasn't there, you'd trade that money in a heartbeat to get them back. Get it all that's back, that perspective yeah. all the time. I was thinking about that. That's, you'd swap it, anything in a heartbeat, and it just shows you straight away, that is nowhere near the most important thing. Again, because the most important thing you do actually is you've probably got people in your life you'd trade no, no amount of money for. Yeah. You'd happily sit in a park where you need no money and just chat to them for hours. Yeah, because like, when you're on your deathbed, like you're not going to go just as you're about to let go or whatever if you're ever looking. Fucking minted, mate. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, 69 <laughs> fucking million in the bag. These are all assholes. Yeah. Then you're like, then you no, you probably think, fuck, my little kids and grandkids are going to see all that. And then some people, I've had some people go, never show people you have money and do all this kind of stuff. And you're like, why? Like you're just going to die one day and then your kids are going to take the money and sell all your properties. And then you're like, even a house, like no one really ever owns a house. You can't because you die. It's, even if you buy it outright with cash, it doesn't matter. You don't own that forever. That You'll be gone. That'll be gone at some point. So there's no point 
trying to say hold it all in for something that you just have to enjoy the moments because i think when you die like the last thing you, your memories your experiences i think that's what's going to pop into your head hopefully a book, there's a book about that i've actually not read it. i've only seen like the sort of cliff notes of it but it's stories from people on their deathbed that's what it's about but it's not like a depressing book it's about basically all the regrets all the things that they say lessons basically this is take it like for instance take a chance do that thing that you've always wanted to be doing don't worry about other people's opinions, all the, all the common things you hear, but it holds so much more weight when someone's saying it who's about to die because they are literally saying, I've got one last thing I can say here, but usually it's, it's the things you mentioned, but the people in your life are the most important, spend time in relationships, family, friends, travel, do things you enjoy, help people, give back. Yeah. That is the best things in the world if you have to write it all down. And then you think of a holiday with your mates or a pub, go to a pub, good example. You could go, if I said to you, do I go for a pint, mate? The pub doesn't matter. The pub does not matter at all. We go to the most expensive pub in the whole of Sydney, or we go to a wee shitey, dinky thing where it's $2 a pint, which doesn't exist in Sydney. The $2 a pint, the night would be amazing. Hang on, nights out and lads' holidays and family holidays went to, the place doesn't matter. It's, it's purely the people you're with. And it's so cheesy to say, but that is a complete... Um, Wakener or freshener for yourself every single time, going, do you know what, man? I could be here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll be some laugh. It'll be brilliant. Like, I was just, there was actually a, a news story that came in over the night. There was like some lady in China who took her own life and she was, she voiced the Mulan, the character from that Disney thing. And she's a famous actress and all that. Da, 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 da. And she actually died from being in a coma from her attempt on her life. It's just, I don't know if you heard the story, not to finish on um, a, a kind of a, a different note, but there was a meditator in, in, in Bondi in Sydney, Trent from 440, told me about recently. He just passed away as so I took his own life and he spent his whole life teaching others to meditate and help. So it's, but he said, Trent said he no, I didn't, no one had any idea he was struggling to that level. So it's, it's just fucking hell. You just have to. Mate, I don't know why it's man. At the end of the day, mate, the podcast is good, but being aware of, trying our best to be aware of other people's situations, it's, it's fucking impossible to know, man. How many stories that you've just told there are like that? How many times have you heard those things? Yeah. Oh, you'd never know he was a happy person or she was a happy person. She, she's... Like that guy's meditation is one of the biggest know, remedy, so, I mean, that, remedies you can do. Yeah. Then... No idea what people are going through. No idea, man. Oh. And that's the thing, like, nobody is safe. It doesn't matter what you do, nobody's safe, which obviously sounds a bit, like, negative, but but then at the same time, he didn't share his story because Trent said he didn't know anything about that. So his struggles. So if you listen to this podcast, you obviously care about your own mental health or you care about someone else's mental health. Yeah. So the positive there is regardless, you're going to have people around you who are all there to talk to. Yeah. And again, I think the tactics and the tools and all that stuff's cool, great for things you can do short term, but there is absolutely no replacement for having a right good conversation. You have a good conversation with somebody, the chances are you'll feel lighter, better, psychologically, yeah. a completely different person. Like you have to speak about it, no matter what it is. And in the long run, it's better. You will. It's the best thing to do. Not maybe in the moment where you have to go through a lot of shit and speak to people and let it all out. And it's all, that's not easy. Like I'll say that even from my own experience, sometimes you go, why do I do this? Blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it's the only way we, you can, you or we or all of us can survive with this because 
it can't survive if you don't talk about it. That's just not a solution that's going to work. And it's as you said, time again, we hear those stories where people don't talk and then the worst thing can happen. And that's so like that even in itself, it shows you that 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 process or strategy does not work. You need to talk about it and it won't get easy straight away, but it, it will in the long run. So yeah, speak to someone. And then the last thing I was going to say on that as well is it's a responsibility for all of us. There was a guy, Colm, who was the owner of the Doss House, the whiskey bar in the city. Oh, what about that is, Brian? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great guy. He sponsored our light bulb when we did that. And he had this brilliant Vox Pop that he gave at the one of the light bulbs that we had in Sydney. And he said, look, if you don't struggle with mental health and that's not a thing for you, that's great. And I hope that stays like that for the rest of your life. That's brilliant. But we all have a responsibility in this. Maybe it's not you that's the one that's impacted by the mental health, but there's going to be someone in your immediate circle. So it's a responsibility for all of us. Let's say it's Lexi. Lexi's fine, doesn't have any kind of mental health thing, blah, blah, blah. But you struggle with things. She has a responsibility as well as your partner to be able to read your signals and signs when you know, hang on, Gary's isolating here a bit. He's not coming out. He's been a bit short with me. I think something might be going on here and she could save your life. So we all have a, a responsibility to be at least aware of the scenario, even if it doesn't impact you. And as Colm said, if it doesn't impact you, that's great. Wish you all the best and that's brilliant. But you still have a responsibility to keep an eye on those around you in case they do. Oh, well, mate. Yep, good point. Uh, uh, I just wanted to touch on the last point to you. Be, let's do the quick fire questions with you. No, fuck. We'll wrap it up after this. Uh, so, you ready, mate? Go on. I don't have my notes in front of me, so I'm going to have to try and remember these tough three questions. Well, after all these episodes. So, out of 10, <laughs> where would you rate the world currently on the state of mental health? Or mental health awareness, that's what we usually say. Mental health awareness in the world. I feel ten. like sometimes we need to break that question up into two. I would say... No, but wait, let's not change the format just because you're the host, mate. <laughs> I no, I would say awareness. It's I'd say awareness. It's about six, but in terms of where we are, I'd say it's about two or three. I think yeah. most countries, most cultures are. Sorry, aware. I don't want to interject you there, but it's actually just a quick fire. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, podcast. <laughs> just a number, please. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where are you currently? Out of ten, on your own mental health. This is like the Oscar when the music comes on when you start rambling and like, get off the stage. Where am I in mental health? Oh, look, I... Just a number, please. Thanks, but just a number, please. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I'm about, I'd say four. Okay. And last question, if you could recommend just one thing that people could do to improve their mental health each day, what would it be? Have a jobby. <laughs> no, Have a what, a jobby? <laughs> Hopefully people are doing that every day. Not multiple times today. Fuck, that's a hard one. Because I'm not going to sit here and go, fucking meditate, because I've trained to be meditating. No, no, you, you have to say, you say what you actually think. You don't say what you think people should hear. Meditate, I don't meditate either, I think it's so hard. I'm going to be real simple with this, and generic in a sense, but I think the g- genericity of this might actually resonate, because I'm sick of people going, do this, and fuck off. It's like, it's not that easy. I think just change your environment. And yeah. what I mean there is this can, it can have, it can be a million different things, 
But if you're at your desk or if you're at home and you're like, fuck, I'm in bits here, I'm not feeling well, just change it up. And I don't mean like, it could be as simple as have a shower, go for a walk, grab a coffee, go to the gym, open your laptop, I don't know, whatever that is. But get out of the house, get out of the house. If you want from home, change your environment, get out of the house and do something for 20 minutes. Yeah. And this could be the most trivial thing you can do. Go buy a chocolate or something like that. Go make, yeah, a, like, yeah. go make a cup of tea. Just, I think that's probably... Especially if you're in a real state of thing, because there's no point sitting in it or laurel in it or just fucking hoping it. Like, just change, just do something. And I think sometimes I do that, and then you then about two hours there, you go, oh, I'm not as anxious as I was two hours ago. Well, I didn't even do it. I just went for a shower and did that. But ah, you clean, you clean it. I want to clean the living room quickly, and it takes you ten minutes. You go back. You go, I want to do something else now. You yeah, just go, go away, do something trivial. Yeah, like fucking, I don't know, take the bins out because, and then. Just doing the bins, that could be a, a little tick in your brain. Go, well done, Neil. You've done well there. And then you're like, great. Thanks, man. you go again. Yeah, so just do that. Just change it up. Do something small. No, that's good. There's a quote, environment dictates performance. I obviously use a lot with the players. It's so true. So true. The environment you're in, people you're around, place you're in, dictates massively yeah. how you perform, minorly, physically. Nature versus nurture. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you doing or we'll do you in the future? Nah, I can do me another one. Don't have two quick files. I've done before. Unprecedented. <laughs> Unprecedented series. Well, no, thanks everybody for tuning in for this week's episode. It was nice, Gary. Just have a little shin vibe with you. And an we, important... have, just, we do have a guest lined up today, was just a bit of an impromptu, an impromptu because of a late cancellation from a guest. Yes, yeah. He will remain unnamed. But. No, thanks for tuning in, guys. Finance is a big thing. If you've got any questions, send it through. And uh, yeah, Gary and I will catch you next week with one of our lovely guests. If you need any money, just ask Neil. He's absolutely wadded. Okay, no. <laughs> absolutely not. Fucking ATL is knocking on my door here. I think, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs>